Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Anthony Scandariaro. Did I get that right? Almost. <laughs> Almost. Scandariano. Perfect. It's all good. Anthony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Glenn. Really appreciate it. Um, so uh, my name is Anthony Scandariano. So um, I am the co-founder of Red Knight Properties, and we are a uh, multifamily and mixed-use value-add uh, real estate investment company. We focus on syndications, um, but we're also vertically integrated. So we do property management in-house, um, you know, leasing, um, et cetera. So we're not just traditional capital raisers putting deals together, although we do do that as well. Um, so we're focused on value-add properties in the U.S. Uh, we're based in the New York, you know, metro area. Um, we have about 250 units now. And, um, you know, we're focused on that workforce housing uh, niche, yep. so to speak, which is more class B, class C properties um, that need a lot of uh, lipstick that haven't really been cared for. Um, maybe it was built in 1970s. And, um, you know, we go in there and create value for, um, you know, our tenants and ourselves and our investors. Um, and, you know, we go in there and we, we either refinance or sell, but, uh, we're always looking at projects on like a five year, you know, horizon just to be conservative. So that's pretty much yeah. what we do in a nutshell. I'm a host of, um, discovering multifamily, uh, podcasts. So you can find us there as well. Yeah. I was just a guest on that show too. So you can, I'll probably have a link up if you follow me on Facebook to link over to his, um, sure. you mentioned you do the, you brought the property management in house. Um, what was the reasoning behind that? Sure. So since I had you on my show, Glenn, yeah. we were talking a lot about, you know, Canadian investing in the U S and how you're able to manage that. Yeah. So all of our properties that we acquire have for the most part been within an hour of driving radius of yep. us. Yep. So it's a matter of if you have the infrastructure to self-manage, then I would say do it. And especially if you're, buying value-add properties, just like, you know, you were talking about on my show where it needs a lot of work in various different ways. It's always better to, you know, be really on top of it and make sure everything is going the way uh, it's supposed to be going. And that's through self-managing from the start. Um, I can't tell you how many um, scenarios where if I passed the management component on some of these value-add properties over to a third party, I would be really scared because we're, we're very creative with some of the techniques that we um, implement in order to increase rents, decrease expenses. Um, I would be very nervous passing that along to a third party. Yeah, and get, you get control of it. You get it done the way you want it to be done. You're able to, like the, what I mentioned on your show, is sometimes you don't see that you had that your tenant didn't pay until you get your statement. You will know it, you're running it yourself. You're not. You're going to understand everything, and you can implement whatever systems you want to have. Um, you mentioned your value add. What kind of value adds do you typically try to add to your properties? Sure. So when we're looking at a property, we're always trying to figure out how can we increase. Number one is how can we increase revenues and decrease expenses. So whenever we're evaluating a property, you know, the rents always have to be below market to some extent. Um, I mean, we've taken instances, rents have been 
$800 and we've gotten them up to, we basically doubled them in a very quick period of time. Um, and that's through strategic renovations and most of it's cosmetics. So we're talking about ripping up carpet, putting in waterproof laminate, changing the countertops, creating a kitchen backsplash. If the cabinets are still good, painting them white, maybe repainting the whole unit, a nice heather gray color, which is really in right now. Yeah. Um, mostly cosmetic work and, and tenants, at least in the New York metro area, will pay up for that, especially if it hasn't been done. Um, in terms of expenses, we always look to see how can we pass utilities over to the tenants or how can we decrease our utility expenses in general, if we are, you know, if there's really no way to sub meter. Yep. Um, and we look at other creative ways, whether the property needs a tax appeal. Uh, we look at our insurance costs. We look at obviously our repairs costs. Uh, we look at our staffing. Um, sometimes properties are overstaffed. You know, they might have three supers on a, you know, a hundred unit building, which I don't think is necessary. You can, no. you can only run you should only run it with one, maybe two, but that's one that's part-time. So um, we always, you know, really look at it from, we, we always try to figure out a way to not increase rents drastically, but how can we decrease expenses? But they realistically, they both end up happening. You know, at the so do time. you wait for the tenant just to naturally leave or do you do evictions in order to uh, be able to move the rent up? What's your process there? Sure. So the process, um, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the eviction process in, in Canada versus the U.S. Yeah. Um, the process here is, is not too bad. Um, to If someone doesn't pay their rent, you can get them out. We're recording this kind of at the end of COVID-19. So yeah. <laughs> in normal times, if someone doesn't pay their rent, you can get them out within a month and a half. Okay. Now, in terms of rental increases, yes, we do go in. A lot of the times when we're buying buildings, the tenants are month to month, which is a good thing. We always like that so yeah. we can get to the rent increases very quickly. But that might come with turnover, which is okay. You just have to factor that into your numbers. So what it generally looks like if they're on a year lease, let's just say we bought a property January 1st, and then we had a tenant expire March 31st, right? So the law, I think, is 60 days prior in New Jersey. You have to, you know, send a notice to quit, which is a uh, notice for rent increase. Yep. So we send out the rent increase, but it's a one page legal document. But on the back, we usually put, before we've even closed on a property, we like to tour the units and we write down, hey, I think this might need a new vanity. I think this might need you know, a new bathtub. Yep. You know, We write it down and then we say, hey, here's the rent increase. Yeah, it's $250, let's just say, and yep. that's maybe a 15, 20% increase. But here's what we like to do. We like to give you a new vanity. We like to give you a new countertop, whatever it is. Um, can we work around your schedule? And nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. And that's, that's how we're able to minimize turnover and still increase value to the property from the rent increase and as well as obviously the upgrades. That, that, that's great because then you don't have to go through the whole eviction or have a vacancy and you can, if they're willing to work around you. Um, you mentioned six, the 60 days. So is that because it's a contract state that you have to, because I know some states you can just raise them whenever you feel, uh, and some of them, <laughs> and also is there an amount you're allowed to raise it in, uh, in New York or New Jersey? Yeah, it's a, it's a contract state. Yeah. Um, in terms of the amount that you're allowed to raise, there are each municipality, New Jersey, which is where most of our properties are, 
I think there's over 600 municipalities. It's something crazy. Yep. It should be less. Yep. Um, and each municipality is different. However, at the county level, you can kind of, if you live in New Jersey, New York, you could kind of, you get familiar with the counties and the specific areas, and you can kind of understand which has rent control and which doesn't. So the areas where we invest have zero rent control. And if we do invest in an area with rent control, it's very limited. So um, for example, there's vacancy decontrol. So if somebody moves out, yes, you have the ability to raise the rent to fair market value. There's some markets where if somebody moves out, you can only charge what the highest rent in the building is. And that might be extremely low, yep. which you probably wouldn't invest in that market. Yeah. So when we've already, we've killed deals because of, you know, some of the rent control laws, which are very onerous and discourage um, uh, investment. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all micro specific to answer your question. Yeah. And so like, if somebody was new going into these markets, is there a way to know it, that it's rent control or not? Is there like a, if you just go to the county site or how, where do you find this information? Yeah. Um, yes, I would go to the county site, see if you can find the information or just type in, let's just say it's Elizabeth, New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey, rent control. Yeah. You'll probably see forms on bigger pockets that are probably a hundred pages long. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I would try, I would start there and then, so you don't have to go crazy calling the municipalities. Um, but if you can't figure it out, definitely call. Definitely before you get something under contract, call just to make sure. Cool. And uh, you barely touched on this, but you you, you are doing this as a syndication, um, so a five year term. Uh, how do you how, how do you raise your money? What is it all through the podcast? How do you generate your leads? Generate leads. Sure. Um, actually, most of it is from just our network. Yeah. Um, like our personal network. We do the podcast as well. It, uh, we do have leads, of course, coming from the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a pretty robust website. We, we offer a lot of free educational materials. We have, um, you can actually go to our website, uh, rednightproperties.com. We have like a special report, how to leave your nine to five and be financially three through real estate. So we offer that free. It's like a free ebook. Um, and then we host events like, you know, probably at least once a month, just general networking events. Um, so, that really generates a lot of interest. But I think the number one key Glenn is to, to generate leads is your track record as a syndicator. So what deals have you done? How are you able to execute? What were your returns? So we've been building up our track record. We have probably three or four case studies at this point um, for our return criteria. And then if we're, we usually market our case studies and uh, we get to know individuals who reach out to us and say, wow, you had a great case study. I'd love to be in your next deal or consider me for your next deal. Then we, you know, obviously nurture that relationship because there's a lot of SEC regulations regarding syndications, 506B, 506C, which is a whole completely different topic. Um, so that's just generally how it works for us. But there is a pre-existing relationship that does take place with, with each of our individual um, investors. And you, you said, like, just jumping all over the place, but you, you were talking that you started with property management in-house from day one. Uh, so you obviously started with a bit, not just a single person running this company. Uh, how many people are your team when you started? Has it grown? What what, do you, what does your company look like? Yeah, so we have, I have myself and my partner yeah. um, that kind of oversee the property management, oversee the company. And... Um, we're working on a couple other deals now where we have another partner 
on our, on the GP side, yeah. um, who's going to be helping with property management. That's the value add there. Um, so in terms of the team size, we do um, have brokers that work with us for the leasing at, at really no cost to us in our market. The tenant actually pays the brokers fees that they charge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty lean team, believe it or not. Um, you know, less than five people. I, I honestly believe that's the way to go because it's whenever you have these COVID situations, those are the, the teams that are, have a lot of, I don't know if we want to call it fat, but a lot of extra people on there are going to be the ones that they still need to pay those people. And if you have uh, some extra vacancies than normal, then it uh, it runs down to the, the end investor and you may not get your, your money that month. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so if somebody wanted to get started in syndication, where do they go? What's the sort of beginning steps? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, so we you know, offer programs where if someone wanted to partner with us and help in some aspect, put the syndication together, you can reach out to me. Um, but just in general, uh, regardless of me, I would definitely listen. Glenn talked about this on my show. Definitely listen to podcasts, listen yeah. to Glenn's, listen to, to mine. I talk a lot about syndication. Um, there's a lot of other podcasts out there that talk about it as well. Um, you know, but I, I think that, and obviously bigger pockets is a great resource. There's so many, you know, eBooks and educational materials. Um, but I would recommend at the end of the day to actually pull your trigger is definitely to try to partner with someone for your first syndication. You can't, you could do it alone. Maybe you can do a very small one, but if you want to scale up and you, you really want to be serious about it, I would definitely partner. When does it make sense to even do a syndication? Because if you're doing, say, um, like I was looking at some 30-unit apartment buildings, and they're like a million bucks or a million two or something like that, um, the fees to set up a syndication compared to what, what you know, how much money you really have to raise, it, when does it make sense to move to yeah. a syndication instead of a partnership? Yeah. Sure. So my average deal size is around five to ten million. Okay. Yeah. So we've personally bought deals at the million dollar mark, even with a couple partners, it's not in a syndication because the fees could be a little onerous for that yeah. size of a deal. I would say the sweet spot, it really depends. Um, you know, if it's a sweetheart deal and you want to syndicate it and all the fees, you know, still make the deal work at the end of the day and the promote yeah. structure, then that's fine. But I would just say, you know, I would, anything less than 3 million is probably going to be tough. Yeah, because there's a lot of upfront fees just to get the attorney to draw all the stuff up, right? That, well, if you're doing 506C, yes. Um, but just in general, because, you know, as a syndicator, you're providing a service. So there's additional fees on top of that that you should be compensated for. Yeah. That it just might not be even worth it at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I would say if it's a, if it's a larger deal, you know, I, like I said, anything we focus on more five to 10 million. We're going to be doing larger, I'm sure in the future. Um, you know, I would, I would syndicate that way. You may not know the answer to this just cause I've heard this from a bunch of people. How many partners can you have in a property before you're basically breaking the law and you should have done a syndication? 35. So you got 35 partners and it's still, you could do a partnership. Yes. So I'm not a syndication attorney. I'm <laughs> okay. not, I'm not an expert, but from what I understand, you can have, I think it was up to 35 non-accredited investors. And then anybody after 35 has to be accredited. Or if you have 
one person over 35 and everybody has to be accredited. To be honest with you, Glenn, haven't had the problem um, <laughs> because we've always had a very small group of people that we've personally known. We've yeah. had a pre-existing relationship with. We've been very SEC compliant. Um, you know, if you're looking at a $5 million deal, realistically, it depends on your market, but you, you're not going to, you might not have 35 of us. You, you're probably going to have maybe 20 or so. Yeah. So, you know, and there's going to be people, especially if you're just starting out, nobody's just going to give you money online. You have to develop a relationship. Um, you have to develop a track record. So they're going to know you and you're going to, you're going to be SEC compliant, most likely. So what's the advantage then to doing the syndication over just doing uh, partnerships and doing 20 partnerships? What would be the... Yeah. I mean, syndication, it's a bit, it's more of a business. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's um, at least for the operator like myself, yeah. it's more of a business. So, and we could do larger deals Yeah. Um, and we could do more deals because you're going to run out of money at some point. You could do, you know, maybe two, $1 million deals a year with a couple partners. That's fine. But is that actually going to generate your business and generate long-term wealth? Probably, probably not. But if it does, it's going to be very slow. Syndication is for you to get to a certain place in your life faster. Um, and, you know, especially if, if, if you're an expert and if your expertise is, and if you're passionate about being active too, um, because you can buy in a partnership where you have two guys passive and you have one guy's one guy active and that's fine. Um, but if with this, you're able to make it a business, it's more of a business. Um, it's an operating business. And so, yeah, so if I, say I was buying a $5 million place and I was going to use 20 partners, it, you'd still, there's, like, what would be my risks to doing it as a JV rather than a syndication? Is there more, is this more professional to do it as a syndication, but would it be, like, what what, would I, what troubles would I get into by doing it as a partnership? Because a partnership would be cheaper, right? Well, it's still a security at the end of the day. You're still issuing the security. So it's, you would still have to be compliant with the SEC. Now, partnership, you have a couple guys, three, four guys. Yeah, that's fine. In my opinion, again, I'm not an attorney, but that's just a straight, straight up JV partnership. Maybe you have some side agreements. Yeah. Um, but the general syndication, you're issuing a security, and that's that's where the fine line is between. Okay, is this going to be SEC compliant or not? So we always have PPMs. We always have long form subscription agreements um, in place just to make sure we're SEC compliant. Because the first, once something, once times are good and nobody's complaining, great. You're not going to have any issues, but it's the one time someone who doesn't like you or, you know, the property's not performing the way that you anticipated and you didn't abide by the SEC laws with the syndication and they go rat you out and then you have the SEC rating your books that's the last thing that we would want to happen. The last thing that you would want to happen as well. So um, I would recommend to just be compliant from the start. Yeah, it's a little expensive, but it's part of the deal cost. You don't have to pay for it up front as well. So um, and it all depends what type of syndication you're doing, but yeah. um, it's it's something I would highly recommend. It discloses all the risks for the investment, which minimizes your risk as well as an operator. Um, so I would recommend just doing it. Just I know it's yeah. onerous and maybe a little cost heavy, but I would just do it. Yeah, and the, like I went through the PPMs, it like 
it it's terrifying to read because it's just like these are all worst case scenarios and so people understand and have signed off on everything so there's sure. no question about anything it's much more thorough than a jv agreement um anthony if somebody wanted to get a hold of you uh for the syndication side or for your podcast how do they get a hold of you sure glenn so i think i touched on it a little bit before but all good so glenn um what I would have them do is you go to our website. I definitely would encourage to download that special report because okay. uh, it's got some good information on there. And um, so definitely on there. And then, you know, our website and I, I'm on, you can find my podcast on iTunes and actually on our website too. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything, you name it. So very easy to find. Yeah. And his podcasts are nice and short ones like me. So you're not stuck for like an hour or two listening to things lots of information quick um appreciate you coming on the show it was uh it was great uh thanks so much thank you glad i really appreciate it